Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. Today I'm talking with Natalie Speakman, who is an expat from the US, living in Thailand, and she shares her insights and lessons learned from her hard-earned, long-term sobriety, not just from sugar, but also from drugs and alcohol. And this sobriety has enabled her to help others feel their best too. We talk about addiction to sugar, freedom from that addiction, and we also talk about the social pressure that we can feel to consume this substance that can make us feel addicted. We'll get to our chat in just a minute. And this week's episode is brought to you by the After Sugar Club, which is where you'll get the step-by-step guidance you need from me to help you let go of sugar and the emotional hold it has on you so that you can get to a place of freedom where you don't even need, want or miss it anymore so that you can break free from sugar for good and make your intermittent fasting lifestyle easy and natural. That's aftersugarclub.com and click on the green button, join the club. And if you're an intermittent faster, then I have five tips for you to help you get rid of cravings that may be getting in the way of you living your easy and natural intermittent fasting lifestyle. Go to aftersugarclub.com and download my five tips there. And if this is your first time here, welcome. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that it appears magically in your podcast player every Sunday. And if you've listened to several episodes before and you haven't yet left a review, could I ask you to scroll down please and rate the podcast and leave a lovely review to tell me how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. Has it inspired you to reduce sugar? Has it made you think about sugar a little bit differently? Let me know. I love reading your reviews. Thank you. All right, so I'm speaking to Natalie Speakman today. And uh, Natalie, you're American, but you're based in Thailand now? Yes, that's right. I've lived here for a little over two years now. Okay. All right. So the whole pandemic, you were in Thailand. Yes, I feel so grateful and blessed that circumstances led me here. I, I would, I mean, there's nowhere else I would rather be actually. So I feel very lucky. (laughs) Fantastic. Wonderful. And can you tell us a little bit about, you know, like describe your life when you were still consuming, I assume, sugar, flour, processed foods? Yeah, well, it's it's a long journey, but we'll, you know, hit the high spots. Um, so I was a teenage drug addict and alcoholic. So my propensity to overdo everything started back then. Um, 
And I got clean and sober off drugs and alcohol in 1999 when I was 22 years old. Um, I continued smoking cigarettes for about a year and a half. I quit cigarettes in 2001. And I'm saying all this to say, like, you can see I'm, I'm cutting things out. <laughs> but when I quit smoking cigarettes, the food and the sugar went consumption went way up and it it was coinciding with me having this boyfriend who was also in recovery i just i'll i'll i always go back to this one scene i was spending the night at his house and it was like 9 p.m and we're watching tv and he's eating cookies in bed and he's like do you want some cookies and i'm like no like to me it just was so weird i'm like somebody's eating cookies in bed at like nine o'clock at night. It's just like, it was foreign to me at that time. But I mean, maybe I said yes or no, it doesn't matter. But the point is I started consuming sweets at night with him. And it just, I feel like because I had just quit smoking and, and it was kind of like a perfect storm, not to say it wouldn't have happened, but um I feel like that's my earliest memory of like, oh, this is different. Not to say I didn't love sweets as a kid and all that stuff, but it started, I feel like it started there. And I have another early memory, maybe within that year or a year later, it was me and this boyfriend. We were out with our friends at their house after dinner, we're around the kitchen table and they get out some cookies or some sweets and we're just eating them together. And then we're like maniacally laughing hysterically. And I, I, I remember thinking, I feel like we're all high right now. Like this, why is everything so funny? <laughs> and, and I was like, Oh my God, is it, is it the sugar? And you that was that like connection. an aha moment. Yeah. You made that connection. Yeah, I did. I made that. That was the first time in my life where I could, I put that together that eating sugar created a shift in my mood it, because we were just like 30 minutes before we weren't just laughing at everything for no reason. So it was a very, and then we ate all these like cookies and things and then we're just, everything suddenly so funny. So. And yeah. did, were you enjoying yourself at that, that moment where, you know, was it enjoyable or was it like, um, I feel out of control or what? Back then, I, I mean, I didn't have, I didn't have the years of just horrible sugar addiction. I mean, for me, it was an addiction. So that was like 20, 21 years ago, you know, so that was very early for me in the, in my relationship with sugar and sugar addiction and also overeating in general. So it, those memories, there wasn't a lot of negative memories associated with it in, at that time. But maybe a year later, two years later, I, I do remember, you know, these desserts and being alone and I'm, I'm eating them every night. Every night I'm eating sugar after my meals. And that was like a new habit. And I didn't like it because I was a colon hydrotherapist. I was into natural health. I was into cleansing and juicing and fasting and herbs and supplements and all of this. But yet 
now I'm eating these, you know, natural, whatever cookies and things. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's often the case, isn't it? That we sort of, we have like, we have an idea that we eat one way or that we believe, you know, in healthy eating and we do all the things and there's always like sugar seems to be the last frontier for so many of us who otherwise are eating perfectly healthily. And what do you think it was that um, kind of was the tipping point when you realized, wait, I don't think this is healthy, either the food or my behavior? Yeah, that's a great question. So again, back in these early years, I would say, um, so because I was into natural health, I was into like juice fasts and, and cleansing and detoxing, liver flushes, colon cleanses, all that. So I would do these like juice fasts for like five days, seven days, 10 days. But I, when I broke the fast, I always just pigged out. Like you're never supposed to break a fast that way. You're supposed to ease in very slowly, give the body time. And I I remember one time I just ate this big Middle Eastern meal, like to break the fast. And I talked to my therapist at the time and told her, and she was like, Natalie, you're in a binge purge cycle, just in a, in a more global way. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. And actually I never fasted again because I didn't want to be in those extremes. Um, so that was another moment, but the tipping point really came way, 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 like years later. (laughs) And was there anything that sort of made you say, aha, you know, and that actually pushed you to make a real change? Yeah. Well, to condense like 15, 20 years of sugar addiction, like (laughs) to just jump from, from that point you know, all the way to, um, so I've stopped, you know, one day at a time, I have not had any, what I call, you know, the, the, the sugary things that are addictive for me, you know, any kind of desserts like process the, basically the only thing that I eat is fruit. I do drink smoothies without sugar, you know, whatever you can ask different people, different things, they'll say whatever, but that's what I, I do have that, Um, but I, I've stopped since, uh, it's been about 18 months. Oh, okay. Okay. Relatively recent. And what you, from, from one day to the next, you stopped it all? Yes. So I had been back and forth. I'd been trying, I, I did, um, some, some diets and things, uh, just to really get off the sugar and reset my palate. And I would have periods of abstinence, but then I would, I would go back. So before this time, final time, hopefully there was a number of like months, like one month on, then I would relapse and just go completely crazy on sugar and also carbs and things. Um, So I was in this horrendous place of just utter desperation and hopelessness, like because it had gone on for 20 years. I mean, I could talk for a long time about the 20 year gap between what I just said and what's, you know, the the most recent thing. But um, I mean, it was just years um, of hopelessness and helplessness and um, you know, just all of the, the, the negative aspects. So 
I was just um, in these like off and on periods. And I remember it was like, so I've written this, it's kind of a popular like Facebook post I've written about like about this journey and what I call the groundhog day of day ones. And that's what I was in. Every day was a day one. Today is the day I'm stopping sugar. I'm not going to do it. And then by usually four o'clock, I could feel the craving coming. And I just knew I wasn't going to be able to make it through the day. And then that night I'm going and I'm buying it. And, and then day one again, the next morning. And so, um, so I started praying, you know, as part of my recovery journey, you know, that's like, I have a higher power, God, universe, source that is part of my recovery. So I just kept praying like for willingness, because what I noticed very clearly, I think because of my other recovery background, I asked my higher power in the morning, like, please help me to not eat sugar today. Please help me to, and I meant it a hundred percent. But what I noticed when I was really in these day ones, this futility is there would be a point in the day where the craving would come or the thought would come like, I want sugar. And I would have this choice point. It was very, very, very subtle, but it was there. This moment of just this shift of a choice where I consciously, but very subtly, like, decided I'm taking my will back. It, it was very small, but it was there. And then I noticed the, that, you know, then I'm like, I blocked, you know, my higher power from helping me when I did that. So it, it sounds to me like there's a long period of time where you felt hopeless and helpless and powerless. And then at some point, there was that like nanosecond where you know, you were able to step back and, and let the higher power in, as you call it, and, you know, and sort of just have that tiny bit of self-awareness just long enough to break that cycle of hopelessness. Does that sound accurate for your experience? It was more like before that moment, I was surrendered to I'm not eating sugar with God's help. And then I had a craving or a subtle thought or like maybe a plan for wanting to get sugar would start. And I made a very subtle choice to take back my will and block, you know, God's help. And so, and then I, I realized later, like an hour later, it's like, oh, that decision has been made. I'm already planning to go. And now I've surrendered. It was like a subtle surrender to um, to knowing that I'm just going to go eat sugar again. So it, it's like I took my will back in that moment. I would prayed for God's will in the morning, help me. And then there was a moment where I'm like, nope, don't need your help anymore. I'm going to eat the sugar. But it was very subtle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And when you actually, did, did you feel like you were taking back your power? Yeah, like my will. Like in the morning I'd surrendered, like, God, please help me to not eat sugar today. And then it's like, oh, well, never mind. I'm choosing, I'm making a decision because of over usually overwhelming cravings and obsession. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, that pretty almost impossible to ignore they're so strong 
And so that's why it's so so difficult for so many people, including myself, you know, all those years ago, to imagine anybody being able to fight against the cravings. How did you do that? How did you not only decide, well, today I'm not going to give in to the cravings, but then the next day and the next day and make, how did you make that Groundhog Day into a positive one? Yeah, like what was that final, that day one, hopefully the last day one. So yeah, it was after a string of, you know, just every day waking up and, and then eating the sugar again. Maybe I would have some days where I could put together a couple days without sugar, but then the cravings would be so overwhelming and the obsession and I couldn't stop thinking and I would just give in. So I started praying desperately for willingness because that's what I noticed in that moment I'm talking about. I lost my willingness to surrender to, you know, a higher power helping me. So I was lacking willingness in that moment. And I was like, nope, I'm not willing anymore. I want to do what I want. I want sugar. So I kept praying for willingness. God, give me, and I mean, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. So when I say God, that's whatever you choose it to mean. I just say, God, please help me. You know, please give me willingness to stop. And I prayed that for only like a week or 10 days. And then one morning I woke up willing. I don't know why or where, or, (laughs) I mean, it was grace. I was desperate. I was in so much pain. I was hopeless. I was helpless. And I had like consistent, and I'm not saying this is going to work for everybody. This is just my story, but I prayed it a bit consistently. And one day I woke up, there was this space of willingness, like intrinsically in my being. And so I, I noticed it and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm willing. Like, this is different. Something felt different. Like, and I knew I had to seize that moment or it would be gone. And so that became my day one. Wow. Wow. That's very powerful. Yeah. And, you know, um, I don't want to, you know, play with words or anything, but um, there's a big difference for me in in our personal power between your willingness and your willpower. Yeah. Studies have shown that willpower has nothing to do with it. And the part of the brain that deals with willpower can just about stretch to 15 minutes of saying no, <laughs> and, and therefore you can't, can't count on your willpower. But I think it's really interesting that you are talking about willingness, which mm-hmm. to me is far more to do with your personal power. Mm. Willingness to do with personal power, yeah. I'll need to, I'll need to consider that, that's, that's deep. I yeah. love it. I think it's probably easier to see it from the outside than it is from the inside. (laughs) When we make that type of life-changing decision, we're not really aware that it is a life-changing decision. I certainly wasn't. But there's some kind of shift that I'm hearing in your story where it's, it's almost like it took all those day ones for you to finally say, I can't live like this anymore. I deserve better. And I felt, you know, I come from a 12 step background. I've been in 12 steps since I was 17 years old. So I'm very much have that mindset. I don't, of course, there's other ways and things and that's fine. But for me, that's just the way I see it. So, you know, thinking about the idea of being powerless, 
I felt like I had no power. I could not control it. And I was hopeless. So that's where the higher power comes in and gives me that the willingness or the power that I lack. Um, so that's the way I understand the mechanics of it. And, you know, it works for me. But, you know, in the 12 step, this step one is we're powerless and our life is unmanageable. So those two things, the unmanageability with the powerlessness. And then when you take the sugar in, you know, for me, I, I have an addiction. So it activates a craving and that craving then takes over and then I can't stop. And then it gets, I mean, the progression of the addiction and how much sugar I was eating was scaring me. Uh, so that was very disturbing and yet I couldn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm sure a lot of people relate to that. Definitely. And what other effect was the sugar having on you apart from your behavior? Did you have like physical symptoms? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I was at my heaviest weight. Um, and I, I mean, it was the sugar addiction was really, really, really bad. And I even was calling inpatient rehabs to try and get, I just was so desperate. And, you know, I was living in the US and eh, insurance and couldn't so couldn't do that. Um, but at that time, <clears throat> I, ha I was getting hypoglycemic. I was definitely having, I was getting dizzy and shaky if I did not eat. And this was, you know, I mean, I'm 45 now. So I was, you know, 35 years old. And I mean, I don't have any hypoglycemia now. And the other thing I've noticed too, is I always had these horrible dark circles under my eyes and I just hated it. And I just thought it was something to do with whatever my body or something. But now that I've quit the sugar, like it's gone and I'm, I'm again, I'm older. So it was the sugar that was creating those horrible bags and dark circles. And um, yeah, I used to test my blood sugar. I would do my fasting blood sugar and thing. I mean, so yeah, it was. And then of course, all of the mood swings, the irritability, the cravings, I just thought, it was natural to crave sugar every single night. I just thought it was like a human thing, but no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's a manufactured thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, these foods, the sugary foods, the starchy foods, I don't even call them foods, products, edible products. <laughs> yeah. Are manufactured, engineered to make them crave worthy. No natural foods do that to you. I mean, yeah. if you think about your drug addiction, you know, um, that the, the drugs that are concentrated and purified and made into powder. Oh, wait, that sounds like sugar and flour to me. Totally. Yeah, I love that example. And it's so powerful and, and true. Yeah, I'm just so grateful that I don't live that way anymore. Yeah, yes. How is your life? now day to day without that quote unquote drug hmm. well i mean the sugar itself which is you know like the sweets and the candies and the cookies and the blah blah like all of that to me if i have that that's a relapse you know and so 
that being completely out of my life for 18 months. Um, I don't really ever miss it or crave it or want it. And I know, you know, I'm a coach and I help people with this exact thing. And it's like this whole thing about the social aspect of food and sugar and the celebrations. You know, I'm very lucky that I think because I've been refusing alcohol in those same situations for 20 something years, it might be easier for me, but um, you know, I, I, it, I don't really ever get tempted or I don't really ever have a craving. You know, what uh, a friend of mine in OA had told me once whenever I was before I quit or whenever I was still new, she was like, Natalie, you don't have to obsess about food. And I'm like, there's no way that is not possible. I said, that is, you no, it's you like you have to obsess like and, and that was removed. So that was such a huge thing. You know, now I have my recovery plan and there's actually freedom in the structure. So that was a big shift to realize like, oh, it, it's like, oh, you can't have this. You can't have that. That actually removes the obsession. And so that was a whole new arena to live in. Yes, that's amazing. Yes, it's true that you it can often be perceived as a life of restriction, whereas for us who are living it from the inside, it's a life of freedom. Yeah. It's freedom from that obsession, which I think obsession and cravings and all those things are more or less normalized by the food industry and, and dare I say, by, by a lot of nutrition experts actually um Mm. and but what we have is sort of like we turn it upside down of what's perceived as a dull and joyless life full of no you can't have this Mm -hmm. for us it's freedom i just want to take a quick break to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast medicine with heart which is an international functional medicine clinic specializing in difficult chronic cases of hormone imbalance, Lyme disease, mold illness, and digestive dysfunction. You can sign up for a consultation with their team to see if they can help reverse your disease. Find out more about them at medicinewithheart.com. And... It's, do you feel that in society, wherever you are in the world, depending mm-hmm. on the culture, do you have the feeling that you're the odd one out or do you feel that you're just happy as you are and, you know, everyone understands you or what? Well, that's, you know, that's an interesting question being an expat, you know, um, because I could look at it, especially in Thailand, they put sugar in everything. It's in all, and actually my food tonight, I, I was like, oh no, I forgot to say no sugar. So likely there is some sugar in there, but I'm, for me, that's okay. It's not like it smacks of sugar. Like I, it might be a little sweet. So, but they, they actually, people will sprinkle sugar on top of their, their like curry or their pad, like the Thai people. And I'm like, how <laughs> So from that, from the Thai, specifically Thai perspective, like this, it's foreign to them. Like, 
to not eat sugar. Um, but, you know, depending, like right now I'm living in a very heavily expat area and it's actually quite a very healthy, conscious, spiritual island. So there's tons of vegan restaurants here. There's tons of raw, there's tons of healthy everything. So, you know, um, I met somebody the other day and they're like, oh, well, let's go to dinner. Oh, well, what are your diet restrictions? Like, you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm egg free. I'm gluten free. Like the person was saying that. And so, so I fit in very (laughs) well and easily here. And, and it's amazing because, you know, we, uh, we vote with our, our money, right. Our currency. So because this is the type of community that's here, the locals here know, like they don't put sugar in the smoothies at all, like on, in some area where there's not a lot of tourists or health conscious tourists, they would just add sugar to the smoothie. But here, like you say, no sugar. Oh yeah. Like they don't do it automatically. So our preferences have changed the way that they are serving. Okay. Yes. And when you were living in the U S did, were you sugar-free then? I was maybe off and on for some months time, but nothing like long-term consistent. Okay. Yeah. And when you were, did you find that um, you were sort of judged or something? I don't really recall that, you know, I was married and we both had issues with sugar. So, I mean, that was a thing in our marriage. Like actually it was kind of, I mean, talk about addiction. I would be like, I would relapse and hide it from my husband. And then he would get suspicious. You're irritable or like you, have you been eating sugar? Like, and I would lie. I mean, I would lie. (laughs) So. Yeah. It does sound like addictive behavior, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The hiding, the lying the mood swings that, yeah. I mean, that parallel has often been made with other addictive substances, but it's almost like we are in collective denial about the effect of sugar being pretty much the same as illegal drugs. It's just that it's cheaper. Mm, Yes, it is very cheap. I did hear once, maybe you know better than me, but there's a study done that it's more addictive than cocaine in the brain. Yeah, mm-hmm. for the brain, they did some tests with uh, with mice because I don't think it's ethical to do it on humans, apparently. <laughs> but they mm-hmm. did the test with mice and mice would go, um, they gave them a choice of, yeah, cocaine in water and sugary water and they would go to the sugary water first. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah I don't doubt it. So aside from just, you know, being married to somebody with similar issues, I mean, it was helpful because we both saw it in the same way and recognized it was a problem. He was always quitting. I was always quitting. We would be doing it together and quitting together. And I mean, you know, it's not fun to live that way, just on your own or in a partnership. But um, aside from that, you know, I mean, with my mother, she's always kind of been resistant to, oh, it's Thanksgiving. Okay. What kid is eating and not eating what thing? And, oh, well, Natalie's not doing this. And, you know, my sister's vegetarian right now. Like (laughs) that was probably the biggest, um, you know, blowback or problem. Um, So do you see how you eat now as 
a long term, you know, for the rest of your life lifestyle rather than just how you eat? Well, yeah, definitely. Um, No, I never want to one day at a time. There's no, I mean, I know if I have one cookie or whatever, like it's on, I've proven it because I was like, uh, when you asked in the U S was I sugar-free there, there was a period, I think I was six months one time. And I, I remember I had one piece of cake and I just, whatever, I told myself the lie that it's just this one night, this one time, cause it's at this restaurant and it's so good and blah, blah, blah. I didn't eat sugar again. I remember it was maybe three months or maybe even six months before I had it again, but I did have it again. And then of course those times got closer and closer. And then I was back to a square one. So for me, any form of semblance is temporary. I mean, it might be a long temporary, but for me, I believe it's progressive. It gets worse and worse. And the way I was eating it, you know, 18 months ago, uh, I'm, I would be scared to wake it, wake that, you know, dragon back up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I get that. Do you feel that you're missing out on anything now? I mean, if I really want to think about it a lot, okay, sure. You know, actually one of my biggest um, temptation moments was my birthday last June, I was at my favorite place where I always go and I always have this smoothie. It's so good and healthy. And I, my friend said, Oh, it's your birthday. They brought me a piece of cake. And for a moment I was like, uh, that obligation feeling like, and Oh, well, it's just this one time. Oh, they, they brought me this free piece of cake. I could, but because I'm grounded in my recovery and things, my thoughts didn't stop there. They, I played the tape through in my, and I was like, oh my gosh, I would feel so horrible if I had this cake right now. It wouldn't be worth it. It's cheesecake, which I don't even really like. Like I would want a different thing. Um, And then I just, I was like, it's just not worth it. And so I just said, I'm sorry, I can't, I don't eat sugar. I can't have this. Can I switch it for my smoothie instead? And they were like, okay. And it was nothing. But in that moment, it feels like so big, the obligation. It feels like it's just this heavy weight. When in reality, he was just like, okay. But I was so worried, you know, of rejection or something. Right. Which was, again, just like your imaginings, because your friends, they just want to celebrate you and however they do it they don't really mind as long as you're happy totally we do we make ourselves believe all sorts of things don't we (laughs) yeah well I think too like food is and eating is so you know I mean instinctual and and historical and culture and it's like survival so people you know, if there's somebody not eating a thing in a social thing, it feels like it's, it feels so serious. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It does. And what I found over the years that I've been living sugar-free is that um, I've been having fun turning those social norms on their head and finding out that it doesn't really matter. 99% of the time, nobody cares what's on your plate or in your mouth. And if they really care about you, they care about you and not what's on your plate. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I went to my friends for lunch and um, 
she she's health conscious and stuff and she was like oh well can't can you eat this can you eat this and she kept trying to like but i i don't think she was even conscious of what she was doing but it came you know my uh experience was like a little bit of pressure but i i just don't even feel like she was knowing she was doing it you know i'm i'm 100 sure it's all with good intentions you know mm -hmm. and again people just they want to please you and we just don't have an alternative for doing that if it's not with sugar And so I've had to sort of, at the same time as educating myself, I've had to also educate others around me so that together we find other ways for, for them and, and for, you know, for them to show their love, for me to show my love, appreciation and all those good things, but just in other ways than with sugar. I'm reminded of a client who was saying she was at this gathering. She didn't really know the people you know, so it was more strangers and they're offering sugar and she had very bad health problems. If she had any at all, like really bad reactions. And yet she felt, she tried to say no. And then they, they pressured her. And so she just took it and, and then she's having these horrible repercussions physically. So it's interesting it whenever it's more of like even a stranger dynamic Because it's like, well, I shouldn't care what they think, but yet it feels kind of like peer pressure, like a drug pusher in a way, even though I nobody's aware of it. I don't think what they're doing, but that's how it comes across. Absolutely. Yes. It's so socially accepted and, and encouraged. I mean, you wouldn't get that with drugs and, and it actually is as well with alcohol, really. It's sort of just not done to say no or Even if it is done, it's seen as, as weird or different, mm -hmm. you know. Or people ask all these personal questions. Oh, well, why why can't you have it? You know, it, it's, I, I, of course, did this with alcohol many years ago. It's like, you can just say whatever. I'm allergic. I'm on medication. Um, you know, uh, I'm just taking a day off from it or whatever. But, you know, with food, it's not so acceptable. They just people don't feel comfortable if you don't have that piece of cake with them. You don't even have to take a bite. Like, Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. It's, it's quite a balancing act, you know, to, well, first of all, I don't think we should have to lie about why, you know, why. True. Yeah. And then, so that shows a lot of social pressure in itself. And then it's, it's like, It's almost like we need to create a new society. I don't want to get 1984 on you. <laughs> right. Brave new world, you know, a new society of, um, it's like we're very open-minded these days, I would say, in 2022. But there's still some things that are just not acceptable or we feel that they're not. Um, and yet they're for our own good. And it's not hurting anyone, the fact that you don't eat sugar. It's not, doing right. it's not doing you any harm and it's not doing anyone else any harm. So where is that sticking point? You know, I think we probably as a society need to have dig a little deeper. What is that sticking point where someone is choosing to do something for their own good? It has no negative re repercussions on anybody else. What's the problem? Yeah. 
I think people just go on autopilot. I really, I, I think it's some like unconscious, you know, human connection thing. And, you know, I have this other client who she, it was very triggering for her. She wanted to feel the connection when they shared the, you know, the sugary thing together. And if you, if she didn't do it, she felt left out. Like it was like this very intense experience. And she, even though her friends knew like they were health conscious and, Oh, you know, you're not eating sugar. We respect that. She, she didn't like the way she felt like she was left out somehow. Yes. Yeah. That makes total sense. It goes to really much more basic human need for inclusion and feeling that you're part of it all. And that, you know, I think that's why for a lot of people, it's so difficult to stop eating sugar because it's not the sugar that is the problem. It's how it makes you feel and not just physically, but I mean, in society, and we don't want to let go of feeling like we're part of the gang. And, and funnily it, enough, you know, we've created our own gang. <laughs> yeah. Which is awesome. I mean, it's, yeah, this is becoming a bigger, you know, the sugar-free movement is becoming a lot bigger, which is great. I think too, like it's, it's one thing to be in this, the situations in a social gathering. And also it's about the tradition. It's all, you know, the Christmas cookies and the Halloween candy and all of those things. It's like, you know, if you've grown up since childhood, having this every single year, it's like this nostalgic feeling that you, you know, if you have the thing that it evokes that. So it's like, oh, if I don't have that, then I, if I'm not in a good mental place or spiritual place, then it's like, ah, it feels so bad. But whenever we can, like you said, like create new habits or turn it into a positive, then it's, it's uh, good. Yeah, all good. Yes. Yeah. Ah, smashing. And so you're now um, sugar free or, or is that how you identify with, do you identify with being sugar free? Is that how you sort of? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel just all around better than you used to? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's night and day, really. It really, like it my in my worst I mean, it, I, my mind would start spinning on what I was going to eat, you know, around 12 p.m. or 1 p.m. So it's like half of my waking hours would be about like this planning and scheming. And it would be very low level. But then as the day went on, it would grow because I, I would wait until nighttime to do it. So it was this like build up. That obsession and, with thinking yeah. about food and what's coming, what shall I eat? I mean, that is such a peaceful place to be with when you are not having to think about your food all the time. Yeah. Cause you totally. can get on with life and think about other stuff. And as yeah. you're doing, and as I'm doing, you can actually have time and energy to help other people and think about others first. Yeah. Yes. That's been a big part of my personal journey. And, and transformation so fantastic. yeah fantastic how can people get in touch with you if they want to um, make the most of your experience oh yeah thanks for asking um natalie speakman 
just like it sounds, S-P-E-A-K-M-A-N. I love to talk, as you can hear, Speakman. <laughs> I always thought that was the most weird, ironic last name, but I like it. Um, but yeah, you can find me, just search that, you know, nataliemspeakman.com. I have a website on Facebook, you know, Instagram. I'm on Insight Timer, the meditation app, the number one free meditation app as a teacher on there. So, so yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. It was so much fun. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh, wow. Natalie's story is so inspiring. And whether or not you identify yourself as a full-blown sugar addict, which, personally speaking, I don't. I think that most of us who have struggled to let go of sugar and processed foods will relate to a lot of what Natalie's talking about. And if she can let go of sugar, then I think it's so inspiring for us to see that it's possible for anyone. And if you want some free resources about what real whole foods are and where the processed food companies hide those sneaky sugars, then head on over to my website, aftersugarclub.com and click on the tab what to eat you'll find three videos there one about which foods don't have added sugars another about how to find these foods at the grocery store and the third video is about what's the deal with fermented foods because these are also whole foods that look after your gut health and gut health is central to your general health And while you're there on the website at aftersugarclub.com, you can download your simple guide to getting more energy. Just click on the tab Simple Guide or download my five tips for getting rid of cravings. Whether you're an intermittent faster or not, cravings can really stop you from feeling free with your food. So download those five tips at aftersugarclub.com and you can get more free resources and tips on the Life After Sugar YouTube channel, the Life After Sugar Facebook page and come and subscribe to my Instagram account at mylifeaftersugar. That's where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do, sometimes some inspiring quotes or sometimes just pictures of our cat so that you can see that it's totally possible to live a fun and active life, even if you don't eat sugar. And if you're ready to get some personal guidance, support and accountability, so that you can let go of sugar and feel more confident in your food choices and feel healthier because you've finally made peace with sugar, so that you get to a point where you don't need it or miss it anymore then the After Sugar Club is the place for you. Together with myself and a group of other like-minded health-conscious people, you'll get all the guidance you need in our supportive and friendly community so that you don't just change what you eat, you change how you think and how you see sugar so that you can enjoy the real sweetness in your life. Check it out at aftersugarclub.com And if this podcast is inspiring you to take one more step towards your life after sugar, then could I ask you to please scroll down 
and leave the podcast a lovely five-star rating and leave a short review to let me know how this podcast is inspiring you to break free from sugar your way and find the real sweetness in life. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.